welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 65. Thanks for listening. Happy Easter! I hope the Easter Beagle was good to you. I hope that you are loopy and unable to focus on what you're hearing right now because of all the sugar coursing through your bloodstream following the massacre of an entire herd clutch, uh, tribe of bunnies, I don't know, whatever you call a mass grouping of chocolate bunnies, I hope you consume them all. Also, hey, if you're listening to this on Sunday, April 16th, uh, the day that it drops, happy day after Doctor Who premiere day. Finally, after a long drought, Whovians were treated to the debut of series 10 of Doctor Who on April 15th. It's been over a year since there's been a regular season of the show. All us nerds are very excited about that. So congratulations, all you Whovians. The rest of you, well, I hope you had a nice Saturday. Let's see, not a whole lot of news this week. Uh, I'm going to sort of blatantly steal a news item from Ferg. I heard recently on his show, um, as if I need to tell you, it's the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. Uh, he mentioned an item that made me sort of prick up my ears. IDW purveyor of fine comics. I'm sure they put a lot of great things. All I really know them for is Doctor Who comics, but I know that they put a lot of other great things. IDW has partnered up with Atari to produce not comics, but tabletop games. That's right. Atari boldly stepping into the 21st century by embracing a game item from the 1930s. Uh, I'm kidding about that. Tabletop games uh, are very popular right now. And so this probably makes some sense, although I am scratching my head a little bit. So here's what the press release says. Atari, one of the, most, one of the world's most recognized publishers and producers of interactive entertainment and IDW Games, announced today that they have entered into a partnership to produce a line of tabletop games based on several classic Atari video game titles. They're doing the obvious choices here. Centipede, Asteroids, Missile Command. Joel Gilmore, co-designer of Dead of Winter, uh, and a crew that he is putting together of up-and-coming co-developers, will be developing the games. While each game in the series will play differently from the others, they will all have you nostalgic for the days of being hunched over a CRT in a dark arcade with your eyes on the prize, top of the high score chart. I, I gotta be honest here, I don't think it will. I think what it will make me nostalgic for is actually playing video games. It's really hard, well, frankly, it's really hard to transfer any sort of media to translate the, what you like about that thing to a different media, right? It's a struggle when you go from a movie to a book, which does happen occasionally, probably more often from a book to a movie, from a comic to a movie, from a, a movie to a game. Uh, something always gets lost when you transfer something from the original, because that thing was the thing it originally was for a reason, right? Some things work great as movies that don't work so great as books, and vice versa. Comic books are their own thing. They're good for telling the story a certain way. It's harder to tell that same story on film. Of course, it's been done successfully a lot. I can't think of a whole lot of movies or games, video games, that have been transferred to tabletop games in a way that have have been lasting. I guess what's coming to mind, I don't remember if there was a Pac-Man tabletop game, but of course Pac-Man was, in its prime, was everywhere, right? You had toys and cartoon shows and other types of games. You had handheld Pac-Man games, you had this, you had that. Some of them were pretty good, some of them are totally forgettable. I'm a little worried that trying to turn Missile Command into a board game 
tabletop game, which I guess is not quite the same thing necessarily, but still, not a video game. I'm a little worried whether that's going to work or not. I hope it does. We'll find out, I guess, when Centipede comes out in the fall, future titles releasing intermittently shortly thereafter. For further details on the Atari tabletop games, follow IDW Games on Facebook, which I may have to do, um, because I am curious about this. I want it to go well. You know, I want Atari to have as much of a presence as it can have in modern pop culture. I also think it'd be kind of cool to do like a video podcast of some of us nerdy Atari people sitting around a table playing one of these tabletop games just to see what it's like. Uh, that'd be kind of fun. Of course, I've been long for a long time beating the drum for a Pixels commentary track to be recorded by the by some Atari podcasters. Maybe get some Atari people together to play one of these tabletop games. That would be really fun. Okay, in other news, there is no other news. So let's get right into this week's game. This week's game is... Hold on. If you heard last week's show, you know that this week we're doing something a little different. There's no game. Yep, that's right. No game this week. Instead, I thought we'd observe 25 minutes of silence so that you can reflect on what you've done. Okay, I feel better. The Statue of Limitations has probably run out on my thing anyway, so why don't we do something else now? So, if you heard last week, uh, last week's episode, you know that uh, we're debuting a new, what I hope will become a recurring feature on the show, Conversation Bites. Or something. Still working on the title for the feature. Anyway, we've got a great guest this week. Scott Rhodes was a technical writer for Atari in the late 80s, working on manuals for the Lynx and the 7800. He continued to work for them uh, as a contractor in the 90s, and has gone on to work for Adobe, and has also expanded into writing children's stories. Um, he's got an interesting take on that era of, of Atari in the 80s, and he's just a nice guy and an interesting guy, and I had a really good time talking to him. So, um, I guess with that set up, after the break, you'll hear my conversation with Scott Rhodes. Hey, we made it. Yeah. I'm sorry about all the uh, the technical issues. Uh, no problem. Okay. I've, I've been in tech long enough to know that they always <laughs> happen when you don't want them to. Well, and in the back of my head, I was thinking about that. I thought, well, here, here I am trying to connect with a guy who works with computers and technology, and he probably thinks I'm just a big goofball because I can't even figure out how to call him. So I apologize for that. Oh, it's no problem. Well, I reached out to you recently. Because of your, your past connection with Atari, of course, I have uh, one of the many Atari-related podcasts, and I thought we'd just talk a little bit about what you remember from those days and uh, maybe what you're working on now and uh, and just kind of see where the conversation goes, if that sounds okay. Yeah, that's fine. I guess I, I can give you sort of a, a little formal introduction for, for the few members of my audience who probably don't know who you are already. I'm sure a lot of them already do. Uh, correct me if I get any of this wrong. You were a tech writer and an editor at Atari from, I believe, 88 to 1990. Is that right? Yeah, I, I was hired in, I think, September of 88, and I stayed until, like, spring, I want to say April of 90. And then after I left, I contracted with them for several years, like three to four years. Okay. Um, how did you get started with Atari? What, what, what led you to them? 
Well, I, I got out of college with a, a double major in English and languages and needed to find a job. So I was looking for something writing related. And I went through, I think I got to Atari through an agency where they were looking for an editor. And I said, oh, I can do that. I had I had no technical writing training at all, but I had had a, a Commodore 64 since like 1983, so you know I was kind of a hobbyist. I was familiar with so, with computers and thought, you know, I can do that. I'll try it. I'll try it for a little while. You know, now it's almost 30 years later, and I'm still doing it. So was um, you know, starting out, was was there anything daunting about the uh, you know the jargon or the the, uh, the, the the, the meat of what you were being asked to write about, given that you weren't necessarily a, a technical person? Well, there were things I had to, to learn. It wasn't so much the, the technical side of it, but, you know, like the Mel Stevens, who was the director of, of uh, creative services at Atari, he, he was really big on editors using actual editor marks when we marked up copies, so I had to learn those. Um, you know, I was coming directly out of an academic background so I had to learn to write for you know the, they told me write at around an eighth grade level which was you know a little bit different coming out of an English degree but it wasn't hard I actually I actually enjoyed that part um, it was you know I, I had I had enough of a technical background from the Commodore that I was I was pretty comfortable using this and, and I had had a we had a um, Sears telegame system or whatever it was called the, the Sears version of the 2600 um, since about the time that I graduated from high school in, in 79 so what, uh, you know, I, was, I was familiar with Atari what did you like to play on the uh, telegames what, what were your uh, games my, my favorite game was and, and actually still is adventure I still play adventure now and then I'm, I now I have it set up on a Raspberry Pi, but sure. you know it's that was a great game. I mean it's still addictive, especially on level three where things are random and you know that stupid bat always shows up right when you don't expect it. <laughs> Did you? Uh, I mean, were you a game player growing up? Uh, was that kind of in your background, or was it more the writing? Or uh, it was more of the writing, okay. but you know. I got the Commodore because a friend of mine had Zork on an Apple II, and I just I fell in love with the Infocom games. So I'd been playing those for five years or so since you know by the time that I got on an Atari, and you know played a lot of games on the Commodore 64. And of course, video games weren't really a big thing until. Like I said, I graduated from high school in '79, sure. so you know they they weren't a big thing until about the time that I graduated. Sure. That you know, we had fun with that. Um, that twenty six hundred stuff, asteroids, all of those were fun games. Absolutely. Uh, are you still a game player? Is there anything that you're enjoying now, as far in in the video game world, or, or any other kind of games, that kind of uh, entertainment? Uh, my family's big on on board games. Oh. Uh, a couple of my kids are big on on video games. I have my my stepdaughter does a podcast. Or I think she said she does the PlayStation part of this podcast for gamers doing a bunch of other stuff. I don't really? I don't play as much anymore as I as I did once. But you know I have here in my home office I have my Raspberry Pi set up with a bunch of games and you know when I need to kick back I'll play those. 
these aren't recent anymore, but some of the games that I've really gotten into several years ago were things like Sid Meier's Pirates, which I played on the Commodore and then played again when they updated it. Yeah, and I know, because uh, I like Civilization. Tycoon. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, Civilization, that was a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you said your, your stepdaughter's a podcaster as well? Yeah, I mean, she doesn't run the a, podcast, but she's one of the contributors to it. Um, what, what's it called? We, we can give her a free plug, uh, if, if you know what it's called. So. That's all right. No problem. I, I'm um, sure I have it somewhere, but that's all right. I guess I'll, I'll step back to to Atari for a minute. Of course, Atari. You hear all the stories, uh, kind of what you know, sort of the crazy environment that that uh, supposedly it was it was like there. What was it like when you were there? Well, I mean, my first job out of college, I didn't really know better, but there was it could be pretty stressful at times. I mean, we would everything was in a hurry. There was almost kind of a a mail order mentality. It's like you know, get it out, see if it sells. Um, one of my one of my favorite things about it was it seemed like everybody in creative services was a character. I mean, we had Mel Stevens who was in charge of it, who was he was this guy from Brooklyn with a, a gravelly voice and a and an accent, and you know he was always always kind of stressed and made things stressful sometimes. But you know he was a good guy. His his administrative assistant was a woman from New Jersey, so you get the Brooklyn and the Jersey together, and they were constantly arguing, you know, I, I think they really liked each other, but, you know, the, the, <laughs> for for a guy from the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, was used to everything being mellow and everything, you know, seeing these guys, these two people argue back and forth all the time was kind of funny. Just That's just how they a, communicate, yeah. We had a, a typesetter who was like the, the spiker chick. We had... I mean, we and she would have when there was a lot of work to do. She'd bring in one of her friends who was also kind of kind of a biker kind of person, and then they had a, a third person that they'd bring in when things were really heavy. Who, you know, sometimes they'd go out and find him on the street, the street because he had a, a drinking issue, but he was a really good typesetter. I mean, this was back in the days. We actually we would write in Atari Write, and then send it through a, a CompuGraphic typesetting machine. So, I mean, this is sure. the, the old days. Sure. You know, um, my my immediate manager was this guy. He had been a journalist in the Army, you know, kind of a bulldog Army kind of guy. I saw several years later at a, at a conference in Boston, and I didn't recognize him because he had transitioned to a woman. Oh wow! Um, okay. So I mean, it, it was everybody was a character. It was, it yeah. was really kind of a fun atmosphere. So, some you of know, these. It, uh... it was hard. It, it was hard explaining to my wife one day why I came home with teeth marks in my shoulder from <laughs> you know, when the typesetter got mad at me for something and bit me. But you know. You? <laughs> wow. It was fun. That's not something you hear often uh, in, in the typical workplace. Yeah. No, that's not usual. I'm guessing you know some of those people could have found their way into uh, basketball. Uh, I guess that's one of the games you worked on. I think so. Yeah, it, basketball was actually a couple of the people from work did make their way into the biographies <laughs> that I wrote for the characters. Sure. Did you like doing that sort of thing? You know, writing the the character bios and and the the, the manuals for the games uh, in particular. Was that appealing to you, or was it kind of just job or? 
And I, I loved writing the stories for the games. And sometimes I got kind of carried away with it. I'm surprised I got away with some of what I did. Like, sure. And most most of the work that I did was on the links. I also did some stuff on the 7800. I did, including basketball, I did a couple of the last 2600 games. Did some ST stuff. Uh, they had some some PC programs that came out that I worked on. Uh, but I think my favorite thing was writing the stories at the beginning of the games. And I did like one that I can think of that I I can't believe I got away with was the the storyline that I wrote for Shanghai for the Lynx. Okay. You know, Shanghai was just a, a Mahjong game, you know, there's not, not much story to it. So, but I wrote this long legend about, you know, playing Mahjong to save the world or whatever it was, you know, but it took up like two pages of the manual. And, <laughs> you know, I thought for sure I was going to have to cut it down, but they, they took that, you know, and, and so it's still out there on Atari age. You can wow. see it. Another one, um, when I first started playing Blue Lightning on the links, you know, mm-hmm. the, you're supposed to be like the, the greatest pilot ever, and so that's why they pick you. And I started playing it. I thought, this is kind of hard. So I changed it to where, you know, they picked you because you're expendable and you could barely fly a plane because, you know, that's what it feels like when you first start playing a game for the first time and you're trying to figure it out. And... So I wrote this kind of funny storyline for it. And then for each of the missions, I went off of that same storyline and wrote, wrote a little story for each mission. And John Scrutch, who was the head of the, the games at Atari when I was there, he, was, he loved it. You know, I, I thought for sure they were going to tell me I had to tone it down, but he loved it. <laughs> and you know, told my, my manager wanted to tone it down. He wanted it shorter. He didn't want it to be quite as... <laughs> abnormal I guess you could say and but John told him no don't change anything but you know he did when when the manual came out it was some of what I had written was there but it had been toned down so much Scratch was kind of upset about it huh. you know I'm I need to let this go but I'm still a little bit bitter about <laughs> it I, you know I thought well. I mean that was, that was some of my best writing you know and, and <laughs> so now I go out to Atari age and I look at it and I think man this could have been this was so much more fun than the way it turned out you could but, uh you should put out your your the the uh the updated the the, the director's cut so to speak of, of that manual you know, and let people read it. So, If I had known that this stuff was still going to be interesting, I would have kept more things. But that's one of my regrets is that I didn't hang on to stuff. I, yeah. I would love to be able to say, here's the original version of the Blue Lightning manual. Well, I mean, one of the things I do on Atari Bytes is partly it's a game review show, and I, I talk about you know what I like about the game, what done. And, and part of what I do is I make up a little story about what's going on in the game. And I always like it when the manual already has a little story in there for me. Uh, to kind of start with, because that, that's one of my favorite parts of the manuals, is when that stuff is in there. So Yeah, and it kind of got a little bit disappointing toward the end of my time working with Atari, because we, we switched from the longer form manuals to, like, I think there were like four pages of each language with four four languages in a manual or something, and so the stories got pretty much eliminated, and that took a lot of the fun out of it. And, and in um, between those two stages, we had the for the links, we had the poster manuals, which were kind of fun. Oh, I, I, don't I got know about those. Yeah, what they did was instead of having the little booklet that came, they had posters where one oh. side was a picture of the game art and the other side was a manual done kind of in comic book form. 
That's cool. You know, so I got to work with the, the graphic artists there and kind of storyboard yeah. how these posters would come out, which was a completely different experience for me. Yeah, I would imagine. And, and you know, it was fun. One of the first ones we did was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. You know, my kids were really into that. I liked the movie. I, it's and a great movie, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's still a classic. You know, being able to turn that into this little comic book thing and work in the instructions for the game around a story and, and the comic book was really fun. What was it like uh, writing something for an, an established thing? All right, Bill and Ted's, of course, was already a, a movie. You had something to go by. How was writing a manual for that different than something that Atari created itself? Well, it was a little limiting because I had to stay with somebody else's characters. Sure. I couldn't do like I did, did with Shanghai or with Blue Lightning and just completely go off the deep end and make up my own story. You know, I also write write fiction, and yeah. you know, so I, I love doing the stories. And sometimes there was a game that was pretty well established, like Paperboy. You know, sure. but I, I was still able. I worked in. You'll notice if you look at the manual for the Atari, especially the Lynx version, I think it's in the 2600 version, I think, if there isn't for Paperboy. There's a, a revenge story that you don't see on the other platforms. You know, that was that was my invention. I mean, because, you know, if somebody doesn't subscribe, you're supposed to throw the paper through their windows. You know, so I put in this little revenge story that was fun. <laughs> so... When you would work on a project for them, where where in the process would you come in? Would they bring you a finished game and you would have to say, describe, okay, what's going on in this game? Or would you be there at the beginning to kind of shape what the game was going to look like? That kind of it was usually pretty much finished by the time I got it. Sometimes the the programmers, if I refer to the guys upstairs and talking about the programmers, sure. um, sometimes they were still working on it, but it was pretty much done. Other times it was completely done, and we'd have to write in a hurry. The amount of time that I had to work on a game really depended on the number of games I had. If I had one, I could sit there and play with it more and get to know it better. If I had like six or seven to do it once, I had to kind of rush through it because sure. you know usually I would get it and they'd say they wanted it in a couple of days, sometimes even faster. So I'd have to rush it. The, the ones I had the most fun with, of course, were games that I enjoyed where I could sit there and, and play it. Sure. Not necessarily all the way through, but, but far enough to get a really good feel for the game. Because that, that affected the story. You know, Blue Lightning was that way. I was able to write a story that I thought felt the way that the game felt okay. because I had time to play with it. Sure. Where some of the later ones that we did, when I was contracting, they'd send me a batch of five or six games and say, can you have these done in a week? You know, and I had another job. So, you know, I'd have to do those as quickly as I could. And I'd play them enough to get a feel for it, but I couldn't really get deeply into the games like I would have liked to on, on some of them. Some of them, you know, I didn't enjoy as much, and so playing them for an hour or two was enough. But others... I mean, you know, you can imagine it's a pretty cool game, a pretty cool job if you can just sit down, play games for a few hours, and people oh, yeah. come in and say, you know, can you do something for me? And, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, my wife would come in, you know, can you do the dishes? If I can't, I'm playing a game. You know, I'm working. <laughs> yeah, I'm working. Yeah, exactly. I think anybody listening to this podcast probably would, would uh, want to have a job like that. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it was it was fun. I mean, I look back on it, it was it was 
a good time in a lot of ways. You know, there was stress and, and getting used to the working world. And, oh, you know. sure, sure. <laughs> now, at some point, I think in the 80s, I'm not necessarily an expert on, on the whole history of Atari, but I think in the 80s they kind of shifted towards the sort of the home computing aspect of things. Uh, did you work on manuals for, like, the computers and that kind of thing as well? Yeah, I did. I did uh, I did several things for the ST. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there was an educational game about a, a candy factory. I remember doing that. I worked on one of Leonard Trammell's pet projects, which was Desk Set 2, which turned uh, the Atari ST into a front end for typesetting machines. I worked on a, a couple of things on their uh, Atari had a, a PC compatible that a lot of people don't really know about. I don't know how well it did probably. I think it did better in Europe than it did in the United States. Did a couple of things for that. Um, was I, your I worked, pro- on, I worked on the portfolio. The portfolio was fun, especially looking back. I mean, I didn't do that much on it. I wrote a manual for the flash memory, which I thought was the coolest thing ever at that time. And I, I edited the original manual that had come in from England to make it more American. But looking back on it, I can say, you know, I worked on one of the first handheld computers. You know, wow. that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Was your approach to writing those kind of uh, things different than a, your approach to writing a game, or is it just another kind of writing for you? Well, I mean, they, I didn't have the story to work with, sure. but they had. There were other things that were fun about it, um, like desk set. One of the things that I would do when I worked on on those manuals was I almost was like a software tester. I mean, I would look at bugs. I would. Like find out how many characters you could enter into the into the field. Um, desk set desk set's biggest problem was it was horribly slow. But I enjoyed playing with the the whole. You know, I I'd, I'd been in in journalism in high school and college, and so I enjoyed things like page layout. Desk set he did some pretty could do some pretty complex. Um, page layout typesetting kinds of things so that was fun to do I usually yeah I was enough of a geek to just enjoy playing with the software and it was fun to be able to to do that for work you know get paid for it so not that I got paid a lot but But still you got to get paid to uh, do something you enjoyed doing so that's that's uh, and it felt like a lot right after college well yeah I'm sure so you left Atari then where did you go after that um, from there, I went to a computer hardware manufacturer called Everex. This was at the time where you know there were tons of computer companies that hadn't consolidated down to two or three or you know whatever it ended up with. Sure. And Everex, I worked on things like 386, 486 computers, um, uh, an early color laptop. Uh, one of the things I worked on at, at Atari for a short time was the first. The first Stacy, which was the, their laptop, which was kind of, it had some issues. Like it used, I think it used 12 C batteries. Oh, wow. So it was, it was heavy, it ran hot, and yeah. it had like a two hour lifespan for well, the Well, that's my question. I was wondering how long would, would uh, 12 C batteries actually last in, in a computer, but not yeah, long. It didn't last long. <laughs> But it didn't. It was still. It was really cool technology. You oh, know? sure, I mean, certainly for the time. Yeah, color laptop. People didn't have those. 
Yeah, well, I'm old enough to remember when that was a big deal, uh, uh, just coming into the, the home computing era. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And the Stacy, the Stacy was popular with musicians. Music was a big thing at Atari at that time. Oh. Like my first holiday party there, uh, Mike Pinder from the Moody Blues spoke. Um, we had we'd see people in the halls occasionally, like Debbie Gibson, who of course was hot at the time. Yeah. You know, I stood a couple feet from Mick Fleetwood. Who did you get an autograph or anything? looking guy. No, because <laughs> I mean, you know, it was a professional thing, and he was well, walking with an yeah, entourage down the hall. But you know, <laughs> Mick Fleetwood was tall so, guy with the trench coat and the big Rasputin beard. And, yeah. You know, it's kind of scary. So, I mean, were they were they there? Were, were they writing music or were they have, providing input yeah, on, yeah. on something? Or no, they were they were doing music. The huh? the ST and you know this is one of the big things for the the Stacy the laptop was you know they could take it on on stage. Um, several several groups won Grammys using Atari computers, so they made a big really? deal about that. At the office, like oh, I, sure. Tangerine Dream, and <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember all of the names of the people, but you know, right. the music was was pretty big. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, so so, what are you doing now? As far as uh, what, what what kind of what are you working in now? Well, after Everett, I went to Novell and worked on networking software for about sixteen years, and now I work for Adobe, and I work on the on the um, web marketing side of Adobe, the digital marketing side, you know, which isn't, isn't, it doesn't sound nearly as fun or as sexy as working on games at Atari, and it, it really isn't, you know, I, I'm not even on the creative side like, like Photoshop, but, sure. you know, this is, it's big, data is big business, and so I work on I, I work on Adobe Analytics as my main project. Well, and like you said earlier, uh, for someone who's interested in those things, it probably is a lot of fun. Uh, it may not sound yeah, like I it mean, if you're not, but yeah. So, Well, one of the big things for me is, you know, I like to always be learning something, and I, I need to be challenged. And working on, on this stuff is definitely challenging. There's always something to learn. And, you know, after doing the same, essentially the same job, I mean, I was a... I managed a group of 13 writers and editors for a while at Novell, but then I went back to writing and, you know, you need, I need to have something that keeps it fresh and having interesting technology Absolutely. keeps, keeps me going, keeps me from getting too bored. You know, I mean, 30 years, 29 years is a long time to be working on one career. You know? Absolutely. I'll just take a tangent here. What excites you about technology currently? What do you think is uh, the, the big thing right now or, or going to be the big thing pretty soon? Well, the, there are, well, I don't know about the big thing, but the things that excite me are, like right now I'm really into Raspberry Pi. Sure. And I'm, not, I'm not a maker. I don't really have the electronics background, but the Pi reminds me of the 80s. You know, it's a hobbyist computer. You can take it, do whatever you want with it. Sure. You know, I, I have three of them in the house now. Oh, wow. Um, I'm, I'm really cloud stuff is interesting. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I love being able to have the stuff that I'm working on out on, on Dropbox okay. and be able to access it from any computer that I want. You know, I mean, sure. there's, there's a lot going, the, the way things are getting it's smaller. I mean, I remember 
when I was young, anytime they showed a computer in a sci-fi movie or something, you know, it was the big, took up a whole wall. Before exactly. I started at Atari, yeah. before I started at Atari, I worked for a little local trucking company in the Bay Area, and I'd go up to places like, you know, Pac Bell yeah. in San Francisco, and I'd deliver computers into these computer rooms that were just these massive, clean rooms <laughs> with everybody wearing white. Right. Um, you know, I, I remember delivering computers to a bank or someplace in San Francisco. It was a, a HP touchscreen. You know, I'd never seen a touchscreen. Right. And they were they were brand new. The way it worked then was they had this instead of you know I'm not sure exactly on the technology, but instead of being able to sense where you're touching on the screen, it actually had white beams that went across up and down and sideways, and the white wow. beams would would detect where your finger was on the screen. Sure. Yeah, which was which was pretty cool. Um, so you know, I don't know. I I think there's so much going on in the in the industry still. It's pretty interesting. Now you've also got right field documentation services. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing that much with it right now because I'm I'm pretty busy with Adobe work. Okay. But, that, that's the company that I started for contracting. I don't think I called it that yet when I was contracting for Atari. But then when I when I got to Everex, some of my coworkers and I were doing work on the side for a bunch of other companies, including some competitors. You know, I'm sure there was some conflict of interest stuff going on that we just didn't talk about. Um, and, and so we came up, we all played baseball, so we came up with the name Wright Field, where I think actually first we were Wright Brothers, and then later when it was just me, I changed it to Wright Field. Um, so I've done, you know, it's, it's kind of nice. One, one nice thing about technical writing is if I need to make more money, there's always somebody who's looking for something, and so Wright Field is my business. I, I, the most recent thing I did there was I updated my uncle's website, mustangirs.com. He makes he, he makes um, independent rear suspension systems for Ford Mustangs. Oh, wow. And okay. His, his website was way out of date, so I did some work for him <laughs> in, in exchange for some work on my own Mustang. But, you know, he, that, he does, that's a good deal, yeah. He's worked on, on racing crews and things. You know, so it's still, right field is still active, but it's okay. sort of more or less in limbo right now. Okay. Now, I was also really... Uh, but if intrigued. anybody has an interesting job they want me to do, I'm looking. <laughs> well, that's why I thought I would give you an opportunity to talk about that in case uh, you're still offering your services. So I was also intrigued to see that you're uh, a fiction author as well, and I think you mentioned it earlier this morning. I, I read your story. Uh, am I pronouncing this correctly? Ah! Is that how you would say? It? Ah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't didn't know quite, quite where the emphasis was, but but I read that. It, it was cute. It was entertaining. So, yeah, that story. I, I actually wrote that one just for friends one Halloween. It's a story. Well, you know, but your listeners don't. It's a story about um, a, a junior high school basketball team that becomes zombies when the school yep. is invaded by aliens that come on a comet or on a, on a um, meteor, and you know, it's just kind of. I wrote it just for fun, and then I saw that there was this online publication that was looking for kind of weird stories for kids, and I thought, you know, I'll clean that one up and send it in. So they published that one last October. Uh, last year, I also published a poem 
Um, I'm working. I have four manu- four novels that are in various stages of development. There's one that I'm actually trying to find a publisher for right now, and a couple others that are being revised, and one that I'm still drafting. Um, I've got a another short story that I'm preparing to submit to a magazine for a, a May 1st deadline. So I was working on that yesterday. So it's it's getting pretty close to done. As an aspiring novelist yeah, writing, myself, I, I writing I, I, my thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's fun. I mean, even it, you know, I I love the writing, and if I, if I never get published, it's not a huge deal to me. You know, I'd like to have the validation and know that some people enjoy what I'm writing. But you know, I'm, I'm writing it for fun. I, I make Adobe pays me pretty well, and you know, it's not like I need to write for the money. But right. I've loved writing since I was a kid. I imagine that. Yeah, I don't write technical manuals myself, but I can imagine that it works a different part of your brain to write the fiction versus the technical stuff. Yeah, and that's it's probably it's completely different. Yeah, you know, the technical writing has helped with the fiction in that you know I'm used to working with with editors and getting feedback, and also I'm used to treating what I'm writing as a project. You know, so I can look at it even my my fiction as a as a project and something that I need to get done by a certain time or whatever but sure. you know for, for a while I was actually writing fiction during lunch breaks at work because I mean it seemed weird and I still kind of do this like I'll take if I have a, a vacation I'll spend a lot of my vacation from my writing job writing but it's just a completely different it's more of an escape you know I can escape from the more regimented technical writing where, you know, we have to write for translation, which means we have to be, you know, extra clear and be careful about the word choices we use. And, you know, there's all these things that you have to do and your work's going to be translated that we didn't worry about in fiction. And actually, you know, I I look back at the Atari stuff now that I know what I know about what has to be done for translation. And we translated our, the manuals back then, but I look at something like you know, what I did with California games where I added all the surfer talk stuff and, you know, they, they must have had fun translating those. You know, I, <laughs> I speak German, so I, I read the German manual and, you know, they, they tried, but pretty much they just had to go back to just straight language because, you know, all the slang in there was a little crazy. I imagine that would be difficult, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, am I correct that you you also are uh, an administrator for the Utah Children's Writers Blog? Is that am I getting that right? Yeah, the Utah Children's what? Writers Blog. I'm a co-administrator on there. Um, it's just you know a, a little place like Utah. You, you're be kind of surprised at how many writers have come out of here. Um, really? You know, especially children's writers, which I guess shouldn't be a big surprise considering that Utah has a, a lot of you know, big families and a lot of a lot sure. of women who stay home they're stay home moms and they write on the side um, one of my one of my friends here who unfortunately died earlier this year from from brain right. cancer Rick yeah, Walton who has written he's written you know over, over 100 picture books for kids um, mm. another one of my friends Carol Lynch Williams I like giving these people plugs she's absolutely an yeah. award winning young Go adult it, author yeah. um, so so what what uh I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, there's, there's it's a pretty big community. 
Absolutely. What what's um what does the blog uh, – what's the mission of the blog? What do we find out if we, if we go to the blog? Well, the blog isn't quite as active as it was at one point. We used to have like seven or eight writers writing for it, maybe more, maybe ten. Okay. Um, now I think I'm the only one who's actively writing, and I'm also working on a master's degree in professional writing, so you know I don't have as much time right now, but you know, I go in – I try to I try to write once a month or so, but it's basically, even though it says it's a children's writer's blog and that's the community, it's more about writing in general. There's advice for, you know, how to create characters, how to write a good a good villain, that kind of thing. And of course, I've used my my technical background. I did a, a series of seven or eight posts on being a mobile writer you know using using tablets and mobile technology to support your writing life yeah so i wrote about a bunch of apps and things um, that i had found yeah so um, that, right I'm, I'm hoping once i graduate from this master's program in may i'm hoping to put more time into the blog and get it going again because we we had a good time with that great so, you know, having built a career around uh, writing largely, what what made you decide to get the master's degree now? Um, I always wanted one. Like, okay. I, I never intended to stop college at a bachelor's degree, but you know, it got to a point where I kind of needed to make some money, and I had to, I had a, a kid by the time I was out of college, and you know, I had a family to support, so sure. I ended up getting a job, um, but. One of the contributing factors to doing it now is that Adobe pays for most of it, you know, as long as it's work-related, which is why I chose the sure. the particular masters that I did. You know, so it's just, you know, I have time. My kids are grown. I have grandkids who live with me in the house now, but you know, the kids That's don't tough. take as much attention. Um, so I, I have the time. I have somebody to help me pay for it from with my employer and i just thought you know i've always wanted to do it i might as well do it now absolutely that's uh that's a good lesson for people uh if you have the ability and the time if you want to do it you probably should just go do it yeah absolutely yeah i mean Um, i I think of myself as a lifetime learner and you know i'm 55 now and but that's not too late to go out and do something that i've always wanted to do Given that, you know, at least at one point in your work life, games were a, a big part of it, and you still kind of like the game aspect. Do you have any desire to write a game, you know, from the ground up, just create a new one? You know, that's a timely question because I've been uh, – this is, I think, my third time that I've tried to do this. But, you know, I mentioned earlier that I loved the Infocom games. Right. And I've been working working through a book trying to learn Inform in Form 7 to write my own text adventure. Um, oh, wow. I've, I've done this before. I got partway through one a few years ago and then got busy with other things. And so now I'm looking at having a little bit of extra time with school being over and, you know, just curiosity. Just and I enjoy writing stories. And, you know, it, it might be fun to write a text adventure that's related to one of my other stories that I've written or just start from scratch or something. But, you know, yeah. it's, so that's one of the things I've been working on. In fact, where I'm sitting right now, I've got 
you know, one computer in front of me and another on a desk to my right. The one on my right is open to the tutorial that I'm working through for writing interactive fiction. Wow, that sounds great. Uh, maybe if, uh, when you, when you get that done, maybe you can come back and tell us about it. That, that'd be great. So, yeah, if I if I write anything that's <laughs> worth playing, that would be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, Scott, it's it's been uh, great to talk to you. I appreciate you uh, taking the chance on some guy who just contacts you out of the blue and says, "Do you want to come chat with me?" So I, I appreciate that. Well, it, it's fun. I mean, I, I never thought at the time that this job I had, that it was pretty much just a job, would end up, you know, making me involved in in pop culture. You know, all, all this time later cool. that that I mean, people would would still be talking about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I can go back on Atari Age and look through the manuals, and sometimes it's hard to remember whether I wrote something or edited something. Sometimes I can tell, like the 7800 basketball character profiles have my my personality and interests all through them. And, yeah. You know, it's it's just kind of it's fun to see that, and to have people interested in stuff that I did when I was 29, 30 years old is really cool. Well, and I think I do some writing myself, and I think that's part of the appeal of being a writer is that um, people discovering stuff that you've done, maybe that you've even forgot about, and and, and you know, appreciating your work, uh, you know, a long time after it's happened. So, yeah, like like a few days ago, uh, the game Midnight Mutants came up on one of the Facebook pages, and I was thinking that looks really familiar, so I went in there. Through Atari Age, looked looked at the manual and thought, I think I wrote this. You know, I think this was one of those 7,800 games I worked on that I just completely forgotten about. <laughs> you know, and have people talking about it now, and then you know, I can comment on on something like the the Lynx Lounge. You know, yeah. and you know what I say interests people. You know, well, yeah, I imagine a, they really appreciate yeah, that. It, yeah. It's kind of a, a heady experience to have gone. You know, I, I didn't. I wasn't involved in any of the innovation, any of the really technical side of things that went right. on. I just, was just in the right place at the right time. Yeah. But you know, that that means like for the links, I'm the guy that they sent up to pick up the prototype from Epics when they first when they first acquired the links. Wow. Um, it's, if you look at the back of the links, there's a, a diagram of a hand showing how to pull the cartridge out because people are having trouble getting the cartridges out of the game. You know, I was the hand model for that. You know, <laughs> again, it's nothing, nothing really that I did. I was just at the right sure. place. You could have had a whole you know. side career uh, as a hand model, perhaps. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at that, it's a pretty good-looking hand on that diagram. <laughs> you know. So, so I guess you're officially offering your services. At this point, if anyone wants to hire a hand model, uh, they should they should contact yeah, you. Yeah, especially so. like <laughs> if you want a, an aging like middle aged hand for something, you know. Uh, there may be a market for that. Yeah, you don't know. So, well, oh, that's great. Like I've, I've probably taken up enough of your time on on a lovely Saturday at this point. So thanks again, you know, so much for talking to me, and, and hopefully we we'll get a chance to to talk again at some point. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Do you want to talk about? specific games or something at some point I'm available definitely Uh, we'll, we'll do that thanks a lot I appreciate it sure thank you
And that's our show. Thanks so much to Scott Rhodes for taking time out of his day to talk to me, some nobody that he's never heard of and didn't need to give the time of day. Uh, he ends up giving me you know, almost an hour of conversation about this uh, thing that we all love so much. I hope to talk to him again sometime. I think he might have some interesting insight into some of these more specific, uh, some of these games, a little deeper dive into some of the games. And, you know, also generally what he thinks uh, about what's going on in gaming right now. It's always nice to get a perspective on that. Thanks also to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and iTunes, where you should follow the mutant hordes and leave a review. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com. Our store is the capital A, capital B, underscore, pod, capital P-O-D, underscore, store. A-B, pod, store. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And don't forget to check out my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your animated Charlie Brown, Snoopy, and other Peanuts gang-related needs. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month, which means if you're listening to this on the 16th, guess what? You can go right now and find a brand new episode of It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. So go do that thing as soon as I'm done talking so that you can hear me talk some more. Anyway, next time on Atari Bytes, break out. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.